Impart some of your energy to me. So we worshiped. God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the worship of his people. So as we worshiped and worshiped with sincere hearts, you felt his presence. His presence is always here, but we began to become more and more aware of his presence as we worshiped. That worship prepares us for his word. We worshiped him. Now he's going to teach us. We always start with a brief review and an introduction referring to whatever the last message was. Last week was Acts 27, verses 13 through 26, and the title was Nightmare at Sea. Actually, it was two weeks ago because last week was Easter. So it was two weeks ago, Acts 27. And we found Paul and his companions were embroiled in a tremendous nor'easter on the Mediterranean Sea. Be similar to a Category 4, Category 5 hurricane here in the Western Hemisphere, or a large typhoon in the Eastern Hemisphere. Some very scary circumstances for the Apostle Paul and his companions. A frightening situation, to say the least. Death seemed imminent. Yet our point to ponder from that, our principle to think about from that narrative was this. No God, no fear. Faith over fear. I think that's what your shirt says, right, Ray? Faith over fear. Faith and fear cannot occupy the same mind at the same time. We supported our point to ponder with many scriptures on do not fear, do not be afraid, do not worry, do not be anxious, and on and on. It's been said, I haven't counted, but it's been said there's, a, there's 365 verses similar to that, one for each day of the year, because we're so given to fear. Since Genesis 3, there was no fear before sin entered the human race. Sin brought with it many things, disease, fear, many negatives, anxiety, worry. And then we close with this statement. Jesus sets us free from fear. We have been set free. If you know Jesus... You don't need to know fear. In Christ, we have freedom from fear and all its negative comrades that come along with it. Christ died to set us free. Since the Son of Man has set us free, we are free indeed. That was before, now today. Acts chapter 27, verse 27, verses 27 through 44. One more chapter in Acts. Can you believe it? This, these are the last verses in chapter 27. There's one more chapter, chapter 28. I don't really want to leave Acts. Maybe we'll go back through it again and see what God has for us. What do you think? I've been enjoying this study. But just to maybe give a little heads up, the next book will probably be Ephesians, if you want to get a jump start. Will you stand with me? Where's Melissa? The other Melissa. Melissa's coming to read, and she'll read Acts 27, 27 through 44. And we're standing, not just to get some exercise or shake the cobwebs out. We're standing to honor God's word together. Uh 
About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At, that, at this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and left, let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and he broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship, ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shawl and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. Thanks, Melissa. Reads like an adventure story, doesn't it? You may, you may be seated. So the last time the title was Nightmare at Sea, and this week is Nightmare at Sea, the sequel, Shipwreck. The format is the same as we've had all through the book of Acts, exegesis, and you know what that means by now. We simply give the facts of the narrative, we give commentary on the narrative, and then we make a relevant application from Scripture. God's intention today it's always good to try and get a feel for what does God want to do when we gather. And his tension today, in my opinion, is he wants to take a principle from this narrative and apply it to our lives. A principle that will be applicable to us. It's a principle that we have heard many times, but perhaps we need to hear it again. You'll find out what that principle is as we move through the message. Let's begin with the exegesis. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed that land was near. They dropped a weighted line, and they found that the water was 120 feet deep. A little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid they would soon be driven against the rocks on the shore. I just want you to imagine, take the ink off the page if you can. Imagine being on that ship. A first century wooden ship being battered by a category four or five hurricane for 14 days. 
Two straight weeks. And if you remember in an earlier passage, the sun and the moon had been blocked out, so they were in darkness in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the sea for 14 straight days. The Sea of Adria, it's that, that phrase, Sea of Adria, is used for a wide expanse of the Mediterranean Sea. It runs from the coast of northern Africa to the shores of Italy and of eastern Europe. So, in essence, these sailors, seasoned veteran sailors, they really had no clue where they were. They knew they were trying to get to Italy. They were trying to get to Rome, but they had no clue where they were. The sun and the moon, the stars, that's their means of navigation. That was taken away. But they did begin to sense that land was near. You heard the story. However they did it back then, they were able to determine that the water was becoming more and more shallow. 120 feet, 90 feet, less and less. Shipwreck was imminent. They could hear the breakers, the waves crashing on some landmass, although they had no clue what the landmass was. We'll find out in chapter 28 what it was. And just call attention near the end there, it says, we. This is in the first person, we. Luke was on board the ship with Paul and some others. So this writing that we have is a firsthand eyewitness account of what was going on. We, the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the soldiers stay on board. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and they let it drift away. So the sailors were trying to abandon the ship under deception that they were actually laying out anchors in the front of the ship. They already had done that in the back. They faked like they were lowering anchors, but really they were trying to get into the lifeboat and escape. So Paul says to the captain, you'll all die unless the sailors stay aboard. What's the first thing you notice in that statement? You will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. Yeah, good pickup. He didn't say we, did he? Why didn't Paul say we'll all die? Tell me why. Because he's going to Rome, and he knows he's going to Rome because God told him he's going to Rome, and he told him he's going to get there safely, and there's ministry waiting there for him. So he said, you're all going to die if you don't stay on board. But he didn't include himself or Luke or his companions. You will all die unless the sailors stay on board. This is the verse from which we're going to take our application in a few moments when we get to the conclusion. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat, and they left it drift away. How about the confidence? How about the boldness of the Apostle Paul to say to these seasoned veteran sailors what he said to them? And how about the fact that they listened to him, this landlubber, and they cut the boat away, the ropes to the boat, and the boat drifted away. Now, no possible escape. You're, you're in it to the end now, no possible means of escape. Then I'm sure this is what you would have done and what I would have done. Paul took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Last week, Easter communion. Then everyone was encouraged, and they began to eat. All 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. 
Just some exegesis here. Paul took some bread. He gave thanks to God before them all. He broke off a piece and he ate it. Sounds just like what we did last week in communion. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of this intense situation, shipwreck is imminent, death is imminent, Paul offers them communion. Interesting, right? And no, I can't explain the theological implications of Paul doing that when many of them seem to be unbelievers. But he did, and it seemed to encourage the sailors. They took heart from sharing in communion with Paul. Maybe some of them were accepting Jesus at that time. You know Paul. One other thought was they were throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. That shows how intense, how bad this situation really was. The wheat was their cash crop. They were taking wheat from Egypt to Italy, and they would have gotten some good money for that wheat. Now it's at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. They saw a bay with a beach, and they wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. They cut off the anchors, and they left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. They hit a shoal. They ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast. Can you picture that? Try and picture this story like you're watching it on TV. The bow of the ship stuck fast. The stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves, and it began to break apart. What they all feared would happen was now happening. What Paul prophesied would happen is now happening. Shipwreck. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim. Could you imagine being on that ship in that situation and not knowing how to swim? Why did you ever get on that ship? Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to shore. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners. Satan was still out to get Paul. You know what this is all about, right? It's not just a, an adventure story of a ship in the sea. Satan's been trying to kill Paul for 27, well, no, he only came on the scene in nine, for 18 chapters. And he's still trying to kill him. That's why this ship's in trouble. Satan was still out to get Paul. The soldiers wanted to kill him, but the commanding officer wanted to spare him. Satan's trying to get Paul, and God's saying, no, he's going to Rome. In the midst of those circumstances in life that just don't make sense, and I got some right now in my life that I'm really wrestling with, we just got to trust God. He knows what he's doing. He gives you a word, he gives you a promise, and then all hell breaks loose, and it seems exactly the opposite of his word or his promise. You got to trust him. And I'm not just speaking from Scripture because I'm there right now. You are, how many are with me right now? We're in that boat, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. But everyone escaped safely to shore, just as God told Paul it would be. Because of Paul, and we're not, we're not going to go into this. We talked about it before. 
But because of Paul, 276 lives were spared. Because of you, people are being blessed in your sphere of influence. That's the end of the exegesis. We'll begin the application. And I want to begin the application by remember, uh, remembering a verse from a previous text. It's Acts 27, 22 through 26. Paul speaking. Take courage. Paul speaking to the crew. Take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul. You will surely stand trial before Caesar. Caesar's in Rome. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you, Paul. People just don't know how blessed they are because you're in their lives. What a glorious promise. What a tremendous prophetic word from God, right? None of you will lose your lives even though the ship's going to go down. But now look at verse 31 in today's text. Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you'll all die unless the sailors stay on board. Now wait. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Didn't Paul say that God had said none would perish? They'd all make it safely? Now he's telling the captain of the ship, you'll all die unless your sailors stay on board. What is that? Did God have a change of mind? Here's what it is, and it's here's something we need to relearn or rehear. It's a condition on the promise that was made. God made the promise. Now here's a condition. The condition wasn't mentioned at first, but it is now. And that's what I want to talk to us about in the application. This is our principle to ponder. The prophetic words and promises of God are conditional, not automatic. The love of God is unconditional. Unconditional love. He loves you just as you are. Loves you too much to stay as you are. He wants to change us, conform us to the image of his son. But he loves us just as we are. There's no conditions on that. But the promises of God are not automatic. They're, they're, they're conditional. This may greatly help us understand some things that have been puzzling us. Some things that we thought shouldn't really be. We thought about God. We thought about his word. and It's not, it's not making sense. Why didn't, why not? God's promises are, and prophetic words to us are not automatic. They're conditional. There's always God's part. That's the word of the promise. There's always man's part, our response to the word or the promise. Almost all, if not all, of God's prophetic words and promises to his people are conditioned on a response from his people. God's part, man's part, and I'm going to overly emphasize that today. In the application. As has been our practice now, for the rest of this message, you can sit back. You can just let the word of God speak to you on this matter. I will be making more commentary than I normally do. Normally just read the scripture and let it speak. 
But I want to make some commentary on the scriptures today. One caveat. There are so many promises. There are so many prophetic words in scripture from God to his people. We can only look at a small smattering today. You know, Peter said those, those great and precious promises that God has given us. We could be here all day. I had to leave out so many good ones. It's hard to know what to keep in and what to leave out. So I tried to categorize them. So I'm going to try and pick a promise or two, usually one, a promise or two in a bunch of different categories and just let the word of God speak to us. We'll begin with salvation. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's John 3.16 and then John 3.36. What's the promise here? The promise is salvation. The promise is eternal life, heaven. What's the condition? The condition is believing, or better, putting one's faith and trust in Jesus and in his word, receiving him as Savior and Lord, giving one's life to him. God's part, it's, let me just say first, salvation is not automatic to all mankind. You're not saved because your parents are saved. You're not saved because you grew up in a Christian nation. Did you ever hear the saying, God has no grandchildren? Only children. Salvation is not automatic to all mankind. God's part, he provided salvation for us in his son Jesus. Man's part has to be a willful act of faith to believe and receive Jesus. The next promise is in the category of health and healing. And there are so many promises in Scripture related to health and healing for God's people. It's an encouraging study if you ever want to look, look through. I think I actually kept two or three in this category. Exodus 15, 26. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and you do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. What's the promise? Physical health, healing. What's the condition? Listen carefully. Obedience to the Lord. Obedience to his word. Following his ways. Health and healing are not automatic for the believer. They are promised blessings, privileges, if you will. They're promised blessings to believers, but they're not automatic. God's part, man's part. God's part is to provide for our health and healing. Man's part is to walk in obedience, to do what is right, to follow his word and his ways. Stay away from sin. You can't be messing with sin and expect God's promises to get activated in your life. Next category, promises in the category of earthly blessings. Leviticus 26, 3 to 5, and then verse 10. If you follow my decrees and you're careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season. 
and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Can I just quickly say something? Do you know that the land in which you live is dependent upon the obedience of the church to be prosperous? Don't be blaming it on the government or any other organization. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you'll eat all the food you want. You will live in safety in your land. You'll still be eating last year's harvest when you'll have to move it out to make room for the new. Oh, man. God is so good. The promise, tremendous prosperity, earthly, material blessings, favor from God. The condition, follow his decrees, obey his commands. Prosperity and earthly blessing and favor are not automatic for God's people. Just because you became a believer, there's a condition. God's part is to bless To prosper, bless, and favor. Man's part is to walk in obedience to his word and follow his ways and to live for him. There's so many in this category as well. I had to sneak just one more in, and it combines the healing and the, the, the blessing. If you will pay attention to these laws, this is Deuteronomy 7, 12 through 15. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you. He will love you. He will bless you. He will bless the fruit of your womb. That's your children. The crops of your land, your grain, your new wine, your olive oil, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks in the land that he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases that you knew in Egypt. This continues the category of blessing, but this promise has a very, the next one continues the category of blessing, but has a very specific condition, a condition that is often unpopular with God's people. The condition for this next promise to be activated and fulfilled is very unpopular with many of God's people. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. The promise, abundant blessing, staggering to see. That's what God has in store for his people. The condition, tithing, yeah, tithing, giving generously to the Lord, the whole tithe. Blessing and prosperity are not just automatic because you've become a believer. It's conditioned. God's part, to release the blessings of heaven into our lives upon his people, Man's part, to tithe according to his word, to give generously. And if you have any questions on this matter, you can talk with Stephen Robinson. (laughs) He'll be glad to talk to you about that. Don't come and see your pastor. I don't talk about money. Only when it comes up in in the progression. 
But here we are. Again, the next category is this giving and experiencing blessing. Philippians 4, 15 to 19. As you Philippians know, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. You sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We so totally abuse that promise. The promise is supply and provision and all that you need. That is there. That's the promise. But there's a condition. That's promised to the Philippians who supported Paul in his kingdom work, who met his needs, who gave to him generously. So what's the condition for this promise? Supporting kingdom work and the spread of the gospel, giving generously, meeting the needs of others, benevolence, a benevolent heart. Abundant provision, having all of our needs met, is not just automatic because we became believers. God's part, to meet, supply, provide for our needs. Man's part, to give generously and support kingdom work. To be benevolent towards others with what we have so graciously been given. Freely you have received, freely give. Again, a similar theme, Matthew 6, 33, 34. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. The promise. All of our needs, all of our physical, earthly needs will be met. Freedom from worrying about those things. If we could give as much attention to the Lord and kingdom work as we do about worrying about earthly things, the church would be moving forward. God promises freedom from worry about all of your earthly needs. That's the promise. What's the condition? Living all out for Christ. Living for his kingdom. Living for his righteousness. Seeking him. Making him and living for him top priority above all else in your life. Now listen, this might be a shock. Provision of needs and freedom from worry are not just automatic because you became a believer. It's promised, but there's a condition on that promise. God's part is to meet all of our needs and free us from worry. Man's part is to live all out for the kingdom, live all out for him, complete commitment. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that's not just thrown in there as filler, that's a part of this deal. In every situation by prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The promise, freedom from anxiety and worry and all of those negatives. The condition, you need to be praying about it and you need to have a grateful, thankful heart towards God. In the midst of the things that you're worrying about, 
there's this little caveat. You need to have a grateful heart. You need to be thankful. We're usually so caught up in the circumstances of what we're worrying about, we forget to be thankful, we forget to be grateful, and guess what? You hate to hear this. It negates the promise. It short-circuits the promise. And then we wonder, we un, then we wonder and we can't understand why God didn't come through. That's what I meant by saying this might help us understand some things when we're accusing God of not coming through, but maybe we need to look at how we're living and how seriously we're taking it. I said, you know, we abused that one promise. We'll tell people just all over the place, don't worry about it. My God will provide all of your needs without ever mentioning, are you giving to kingdom work? First of all, are you a believer? Then are you, are you giving to kingdom work? Are you living for the kingdom? It's not automatic. God's part is to keep us from anxiety and worry, freedom from all those things. He promised it. Man's part, our part, is to bring those matters that are tempting us to worry and to be anxious before God in prayer with thankful hearts. James 1, 5 through 7. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe. You must not doubt. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Ouch. The promise, wisdom for life's decisions. The condition, you've got to humble yourself before God and ask him for wisdom, which means admitting our need to him. Then we have to believe and not doubt. Receiving wisdom from God for life's tough decisions is not just automatic because we became believers. We became believers. We have to humble ourselves before him, ask him for wisdom, and then be willing to fully trust him. God's part is to grant us wisdom, he promised. Man's part is to ask God for it and resolve and determine to believe and not doubt. He will grant it. Don't try to figure it out on your own. That's something God has been showing me just so, so often in these days. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and stop trying to figure it out. Trust me. Let me explain it to you. I love that last part. That's not a verse. That's just something he said to me. Trust me and let me explain it to you. Stop trying to figure it out because you can't. Here it is, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I forgot I had it in here. We just had this in the Bible read. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you what path to take. The promise, direction, and correct paths in life. The condition, complete trust in him. Seeking his will in all of life's matters, not our own will, not what we think's best, Seeking his will in all of life's matters, not depending on our own ability to figure it out, because you can't. Direction onto the correct paths in life, direction into his will, is not automatic just because you became a believer. 
There's a condition on that promise. God's part is to show us which path to take, which path is best. God's part is to reveal his will to us. That's his promise. He'll do that. Our part is to seek him for it and to seek his will in every matter. And, of course, once we have his will, we need to obey his will if we want to see the promise activated and become reality in our life. Fully trust him. He will lead you. This next slide is the last one. And really, we could do this all day. There's so many promises, so many words in Scripture for us. I'm not Russian. I'm German. Still got it. Vital unto old age, right, Steve? Remain vital even unto old age. This is like the granddaddy of all promises. You will seek me. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. The promise is this. Rich encounters, sweet experiences with the Lord. Awesome experience of, awesome awareness of his presence in your life. That's his promise to us. What's the condition? Wholeheartedly seeking him. Rich encounters and sweet experiences with the Lord, awesome awareness of his presence in your life, is not automatic just because you became a believer. That's why we see so many professing believers seemingly living very low estate Christian lives because we know there's promises, but we don't understand the conditions attached. The promises are real. The promises are true. Paul knew without question he was going to Rome. You're all going to die. You all going to die. I'm not going to die because God told me I'm not going to die. But you gotta, if you don't want to die, there's a condition on that promise. You better not try and escape and deceive the other soldiers and go out on the lifeboat. Then, we're all go- then you're all going to die. And me and Luke and Aristarchus are going to get somehow to land and to Rome. God's part is to grant us those encounters and those experiences, that awareness of his presence. He promised to do that. Our part is to seek him above all else with all of our heart, with our whole heart, all the time. Not just when it's convenient and when we feel like it and when things are going good. So in conclusion, the prophetic words and promises of God are conditional, not automatic. We need to learn that for ourselves, and we honestly have to stop deceiving others. Hey, don't worry about it. God said he'll provide all your needs, and they're not living for him at all. You're deceiving them. You're doing them a disservice. I know it's really hard, but when people come and they're struggling financially, one of the last questions some of us, Steve, want to ask them is, are you giving? But if you really love them, that's a question. Are you giving? If you're a believer, are you giving to your church? Are you giving generously? Are you meeting needs? That's the condition for the blessing of God to come into your life. If you're not experiencing the blessing of God, check out your giving. Amen. And you've heard this, I'm sure. I, but, Pastor, I can't afford to give. And this is not a message on giving. I don't know why I'm even saying this. I try and stay far away from giving. I let my elders take care of that. 
But I'm sure you heard this. But, Pastor, I can't afford to give. And what's the answer to that? You can't afford not to give. And it's proof because you're struggling financially and you're not giving. Test me in this, said the Lord. And see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out staggering blessing upon you. And some of you, many of you in here have experienced that. All right, I see some yawns. I'm going to wrap up, Jamal. There's always God's part, the word or the promise. There's always man's part, our response to that word or that promise. In closing, I want to give you two very practical questions. Are you still with me for another slide or two? I want to give you some very practical questions to ask yourself, for us to ask ourselves. If we don't think we're experiencing the promises of God like we should. And here's the first question. Am I doing something I know I should not be doing? You don't have to answer. This is rhetorical. Thank you. See me after the service. If we are, this can short-circuit our experience of God's God's promises. The next question is very similar. It's the opposite side of the coin. Am I not doing something I know I should be doing? I think we err more there. Most of us stay pretty much away from overt sin, or is it covert sin? We stay pretty much away from the things that we know we shouldn't be doing. But I think we err greatly in areas where we know we should be doing more and we're not. Or we know we should be doing this and we're not. That also can short-circuit God's promises. If he's told you to do something and you're not, it makes it very hard for him to bless you with the fullness of his promises. And me too. I'm talking like you, but it's me too. Us. His people. Believers. So if you'll stand with me, Brother Dan, you'll come to the mic. Sonny, if you'll bring the band up. Whatever God has put on your heart for the end, worship here. Just wait till we're all settled and then lead us in prayer. Thank you. Let us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we learned today that it's not about the shipwreck, it's not about the storm, it is about the faith that we have in you. About spreading that faith and doing what is right in God's eyes. And as Pastor said, ask yourself a couple of questions. Are you doing something you know you're not supposed to be doing? Or are you not doing something you know you should be doing? Many of us in our life paths, every day, every week, every month, we don't do things because we say we don't have time. But it's really, that's just an excuse because we really, Lord, we really need your guidance on how to live righteous through you, Lord. 
When we take Paul as an, ex as an example, there's 276 people on that boat, Lord, and he said, do not leave the boat or you will die. He had the faith. He had the wisdom. And when he said it, they cut the lines of the lifeboats. Wouldn't you just love to have that kind of influence on people? And Father, we can have that influence through you. But we ourselves need to be, remain faithful. And we also need to look to Jesus and say, guide us, what am I doing? Become disciples and disciple others. Father, this is such a great sermon today and a lesson that we may be questioning our own faith, but Lord, you are there to help guide us and get us to where we need to be. So, Father, I ask you to bless all these wonderful people here today. And yes, I want them all to question themselves. What am I not doing that I know I need to be doing? And I'm just going to ask through you, Lord, because we can gain wisdom and knowledge through seeking you, Lord. We seek and we shall find, and God will lead us. So, Father, I just thank you every day for all that you do for us. So please, Lord, as we go throughout our week, we leave here today, bless us all, hearts and soul, mind, body, that we live for you. We read the word to gain knowledge and know how to live. So, Lord, today was much more than just a shipwreck. It is to show us how to seek and have faith. And, Father, this is just a wonderful place to get this, uh, this word today. And I thank you for the ability of getting up and being able to come here. And those who are not here today that normally are, please bless them and heal them. And they understand that the word that was given here today. Father, we thank you so much in the sacrifice of your son. The less, let us lead the lives we're supposed to lead. And Lord, I ask this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.